Well, part of my face fell off this week too, by the way. I, uh, for like seven years, I've had a full beard and I told Silas that he wasn't feeling well this week and um, all season he's been trying to get to a certain time in cross country. And so I was like, if, if you hit that time, even not feeling well at the conference cross country meet, um, I will shave my, my beard into a mustache. And so Silas, uh, very much, he smashed his, his, his previous PR, I would say, and um, as he was laying on the ground, panting, trying to recover, uh, I walk over and he was like, you owe me a mustache. So, <laughs> so, um, so he runs last uh, meet of the season, potential, well, ho- hopefully outside of going to state, uh, but the last regularly scheduled one of the season is Thursday. So if I come back here with a shaved head next week, just go straight to Silas and give him a high five and say, wow, amazing, you're killing it. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. They actually said I couldn't do that because they're afraid it won't grow back because of uh, my age. But uh, <laughs> um, we are, this is, I, I look, this is actually the 40th sermon in the book of Genesis uh, that we've been in as a church. We preach through books of the Bible. I think this is the fifth or sixth book of the Bible that since we launched uh, 40 plus years ago. And um, I, I think it's crazy because I feel like we're actually kind of moving too fast through the book in one sense. Like it's like, man, we're covering a lot of ground today. Um, and so being 40 sermons in and, Gen- and at Genesis 33 with 17 chapters left, um, we're, we're going to keep heading into this. And I, if you've been here for all 40 weeks, that's beautiful. Um, and if this is your first Sunday being here and maybe you aren't familiar with the book of Genesis, maybe you've heard about it, um, I, I trust that you're supposed to be here. And the, the way, I, there are stories that I've heard, uh, reliable stories from people. I, the seminary I went to had a big wing that uh, Bible translators would then go, go on to additional training. And I, I heard through one of them once, one, a friend that I'd gotten to know, that it is, is a common occurrence that once translators are starting to like learn the language and translate, a lot of times they start with the book of John, they would translate one verse, and then the people would take that one verse and, and go and spread it with everybody. It's like we have one sentence from God. Um, they're translating more, but we have one sentence, you know? And so uh, I, I, we're gonna cover more than one sentence today uh, but God's word is like that, is, is that if we just have a little bit of it, we have crucial truth for our life. And if we, if we go do a deep dive, um, he, we find him to be deeper still. We can't exhaust it, which is why, um, Lord willing, we'll, we'll spend all of our days in, in the word and, and never find the end of it because, uh, because of what he'll teach us and because he's unexhaustible. So where we're at in Genesis 33 is Jacob has not seen his brother in 20 years. The last time he saw his brother, his mom and others were having to put things together to figure out a way for Jacob to not be murdered by his brother because Jacob had deceived his brother, tricked his brother, stolen the the family inheritance stolen God's inheritance in one say, in a sense and Esau was like I am killing you it's going to happen so 
Jacob's been gone for 20 years, and today is where they, they meet each other for the first time in, in 20 years. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 33. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau is coming. He sees the silhouette of Esau. He sees his brother for the first time, and 400 men with him. We knew last week that freaked him out. He was certain they were done. So even now, he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, verse 2. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So we'll pause there. He lines up his family to meet. You know, it's like, okay, guys, we're going to get in a line here. We're getting ready to meet my brother. And he, he lines them up. And we have three verses, and I don't want to read too much into it, but I also don't want to like read it naively. It seems like he's putting them in order of favorites. The ones he'd be most, most willing to see Esau kill to the ones that he'd be least willing to see Esau kill. And it, 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 there's a potential he's doing it based on age, things like that. Um, there, there's a potential it's based on, well, I'm going to put my oldest kids in the front because they actually might be strongest to be able to attack. And I'm going to put Joseph last because he's the youngest kid. But we also know from Scripture that Jacob does love Rachel more than Leah. And it seems like Rachel, at this time, Rachel is going to have another son, Benjamin, but at this time, she only has biologically one son, Joseph. But in this whole line of family, Rachel and Joseph are furthest back, which is interesting because almost the rest of the book of Genesis, a huge chunk of the book of Genesis is going to be the repercussions of all of those other kids hating Joseph, actually thinking they killed him, and then how all of that plays out. And that's going to, we're going to spend weeks mining the treasures of God through that broken story and what God does with it. And it seems like maybe right here is where bitterness, animosity, because imagine if you're in the front and you're being back and being like, well, it's obvious now. I always thought he loved him more. And I don't, I'm not having to use my imagination anymore. So they're lined up to face whatever it is that Esau is going to do when he gets to this family. And when you read this, it's unclear where Jacob is in the midst of this, this last group. He could be behind them all, he could be beside all of them, or he could actually be in front of all of them, getting ready to, to meet Esau. Um, we, we don't know. It's not written uh, enough for us to be able to see exactly how this is playing out. But what we do know is he bows to the ground seven times before, you know, I mean, so like, this is going to take a little bit, you know, like Esau is coming and it seems like he like does something like this, you know, and then kind of comes up and, and does it again and does it again. And sorry, did I just embarrass a whole certain people? I'm sorry. 
trying to be real here, trying to actually see what he's doing. Like he's not, he's not running towards him because you can't run towards him and bow seven times. It seems like he is, and what we can tell by historical stuff is that this is the way you were supposed to approach a king. You know, like, I mean, I've heard people say, like, the queen of England or something, like, that you weren't allowed to, like, turn your back, you know, like, there's certain things that you're, there's just etiquette, right? And it seems like there's some sort of a, remember, these are brothers. Jacob is unsure, and without going into everything from last week, it seems like Jacob is doing everything to communicate to his brother, you are the man, you know, you are the one that, this is you, you know, don't, don't hurt me with your 400 guys, and, and he is bowing down to him in a very formal way. Now look at verse 4, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. When Esau lifted up his eyes and he saw the women and children, he said, who are these that are with you? I mean, this is a moment of shock. Like, we should be shocked when we interact with this. Esau, in this moment, is an excited brother. He's a brother who loves his brother. Esau is only showing love towards Jacob. Esau gives him a bear hug. He puts his head on Jacob's shoulder. He kisses his cheek. Uh, They they both weep. And I think you just feel that they're like letting the tension of the years dissolve into tears. They're letting maybe the the bitterness of the years find healing in this interaction as tears are just melting them into each other. And Esau, now remember several weeks ago, he starts telling them the speech of how they should speak when Esau. So there was a group before this, and there were maybe multiple groups who had already interacted with Esau, who's like, hey, here's who's coming. These are all his people. So like Esau, I don't think is like asking information of like, who are all these people? You know, I, I think sometimes it's, I, I think there's like a informal way that Esau's just like, man, who are all these people with you? Gosh, so are all your people? So Esau is just so intimately showering his brother with love. Here's verse 5. Here's Jacob's response. Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant, that's who these people are. They're, They're the children of Jacob, who is your servant, Verse 6, then the servants drew near, they and their children. So it seemed like there was a little, maybe like Jacob and Esau kind of met in a way that it was the two of them for a little bit, and then kind of once maybe the family saw like, I think they're both going to (laughs) live. Like, I don't think this is a battle that's happening here. I think they like, oh, oh, hey, 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 you know, and start moving closer. And now all the family is getting around these, these these two people. Verse 6, the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Verse 7, Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Verse 8, Esau said, what what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor 
in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. So Jacob's family are, they're all being really formal, approaching Esau. You know, they're being really guarded as they approach Esau. And Esau seems to be totally at peace in the moment. Esau seems to be completely relaxed And murderous threats seem to be so far from Esau's mind, his heart, his mouth. And so there are several options here. One option is that God maybe very recently answered Jacob's prayers. Maybe Esau like left Seir, where he's from. Maybe he left Seir on this murderous intent to kill his brother. And maybe God just supernaturally changed his heart along the way. It's possible. It's possible also that God changed Esau's heart years ago, maybe 19 years ago. And, but what we see from Esau is a content man. He's content. He's content with what he has. Esau has come to see that Jacob being blessed by God doesn't have to be at his expense. Because remember, what this was a big part of last week. What Jacob is trying to do is give him 550 of his livestock. He's basically trying to be like, hey, I have all of this wealth. I don't want you to dislike me. I want you to like me. I want there to be peace between you and me. Please accept this gift. 550 livestock. I mean, this is a, you're hearing like, like, all sorts of noise of livestock in this conversation. None of this is happening in a vacuum. There's all this livestock around, all of these people, people who are tending to the livestock. And Esau's like, brother, I have enough. You should keep this for yourself. And Esau's contentment, Esau's love towards his brother is shocking. It really is. It's like, God, are you sure you don't want to like use this guy? (laughs) Esau might seem like a better guy to work with than Jacob. Jacob just seems to to really mess up a lot. And Esau was wrong for feeling the way he felt about Jacob. And so he's wrong with with what he's wanting to do. But he was right to feel tricked because he was tricked. But it seems like Esau had forgiven him. And that was part of the past. And, And so Esau tells his brother, like, keep all this. I I have all that I need. And I think Jacob could have been like, man, thank you. I'm I'm really sorry about what happened 20 years ago. Would you forgive me for that? I shouldn't have been like that. Thank you. You've been so gracious to me. And thank you for even like that. I don't have to buy your affection. I don't, I don't have to trick you. Like, thank you. Like, that's what I wish Jacob would have said. Um, and, but look what, how Jacob, look at verse 10. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. So please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. So Jacob is like, 
urging him, pleading with him, please take this, I have enough. And like Jacob is being nice, and J- Jacob is, is, I think, speaking truth that when he saw Esau's face, and his face was not a murderous face towards him, his face was one of love and compassion towards his brother that they hadn't seen each other for decades, that I think it's right to say, like, when we worship God, when we look at God's face and we recognize, like, man, he has every right to have a face of wrath towards me. He has every right to look at me for who I I truly am because he knows things about me that even the people sitting next to me don't know about me. And Jacob and Esau have history. And so for, for Esau to meet him with such grace, I think Jacob rightly says, man, it's like I'm seeing the face of God. When, when I look at someone treating me with such love. So it's appropriate for Jacob to say, seeing Esau is like seeing the face of God. And we, we can't know for sure, but it seems totally unnecessary for Jacob to keep on insist, insisting on taking all these li- livestock from Jacob. Um, and so in this moment, like, it's just like, Jacob just seems like out of sync in this moment. It's like, man, this moment is like going here and you kind of keep making it really formal and about the present and all this stuff. Um, Esau is content. He's glad to be with Jacob. Look at verse 12, though. Um, Then Esau said, let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. So Esau's like, okay, I'm accepting your gift. Let's let's go. And and I'll even go ahead of you and kind of prepare for, for what's coming Verse 13, but, like, if you could, like, underline and draw around that small word, but. So Esau's like, hey, let's do this. And Jacob's like, but, Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Verse 14, let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant And I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So there's a lot that's happening in this section, and this is going to, like, I'm going to make a big deal out of these three verses because we have to understand what's being said in these three verses to understand the significance of the next verses after this. But Esau is saying, I accept the present I accept your love towards me. I accept these 550 livestock. It wasn't a transaction for my love, but we love each other. I accept. Let's go, and um, I'm, I'm going to lead the way, which, which you could read. You could look into, like, what all does that mean? Is that protection? Is that just a prepare, like, a way? Um, and Jason's like, oh, Esau's like saying, let's go. And Jacob says, well, my kids are really frail, um, I'm sure made them feel awesome. <laughs> Even, so, some of them are, are definitely older teenagers for sure. My kids are frail. Many of the livestock are nursing. Um, and if we drive this herd hard for one day, they're all going to die. So it's like, hey, we need to slow down here. And it is Jacob. Don't miss this at the end of verse 14. It is Jacob who suggests, hey, Here's what we're going to do. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant. So you go ahead and go. And I'm going to lead slowly. 
at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Okay, now if we don't know biblical geography super well, um, and it, but if we dive into this, it starts becoming clear that it's like they're in Collins and where Esau lives is like the Quad Cities. And so, it, but it's kind of like they've come from Chicago. So it's kind of like they've come from Chicago, they've made it to Collins, and where God told them to go is Omaha. That's where they left to go to. And now Esau and Jacob, and Jacob's like, okay, hey, you go to the Quad Cities, and we're, we're right behind you, and we, he says, we will come to Seir. So go ahead, we will come to Seir. So that's, that's what is being said here and why it's being said and all that stuff. So now, verse 15. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. There are 400 guys who are just gonna bolt it to the Quad Cities. So let me just leave some of them here to help get these 550 livestock to me, uh, you know, see all this safely there. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, Jacob said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth. He went to Des Moines and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, to Omaha, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, God the God of Israel, which is, remember, the name that Jacob has just been renamed, which means God rules. The trickster no longer rules, God rules. This is a complicated situation. So Esau and Jacob depart with the understanding that Jacob is right behind with the gift that he has pleaded with him to accept out of their love for each other. And he's wanting to make sure the livestock are taken care of. His brother departs. And he doesn't go to Seir. Jacob takes them west. Like at the pinnacle of this amazing reunion of brothers, at the pinnacle of this weeping and loving each other, Jacob deceives him again. In like, you know, it's like, Hey, I'll see you later. Stab you in the back. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's really what he's doing here. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, it's disappointing. It's like, God, are you sure Jacob is the guy you want to be dealing with here? Like, this might be a good time to pivot and to pick somebody else to fulfill your mission. And it should shock us Every time Jesus is on earth and he says, I am the God of Jacob. 
She'd be like, there's way other people you should brag about being the God. But he's saying something deep. He's saying something significant about, uh, about the way he sees and the way he works and his patience and his love and his care. And uh, it's not us and our resume that he's impressed with. Um, so Jacob never goes to Seir as he said he would. Jacob never delivers the 550 livestock that it was his idea and his pleading for him to accept. And you can say, like, why? Well, one thing that is happening, I think, is God truly called Jacob to go to the promised land. He's like, Jacob, go to Omaha. So there's a, you know, in my, like, where do we see this happening? It's, it is fascinating in verse uh, 15, Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But Jacob says, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. And I was like, I wonder if, if it was there that he's like, Esau's not my Lord. Like, maybe I need to find, find favor in the sight of my Lord, maybe. Like, he's been speaking about Esau as his Lord for far too long in this section in Genesis. And maybe he's finally starting to have it hit him. That's like, you know what? That's not my Lord. I need to find favor in the sight of my Lord, my, my true Lord. Maybe, maybe that is where it was. But what Jacob has constructed here is that if Jacob actually did his plan to go to Seir, he's not going where God has called him to go. Like, Jacob has, like, constructed a lot of this stuff. Like, it's like he heard from God, then he kind of was involved in things that it seemed like he wasn't hearing from God, or, he, or maybe, like, he had been swayed that there was something greater that distracted him from hearing from God. And now, like, he's trying to maybe make it right, and the way he makes it right is by just, like, cutting off all of those people that maybe contributed to being involved in him not following God and then um, he just kind of throws down a good, solid deception and just goes where God. And you see what he does from there on out is he really worships God. And he, he, he does some beautiful things. Um, he, he seems to be all in, you know, buying a piece of land from Shechem, from Shechem's father. Um, there he erects an altar that seems to be a really good thing for him to do. And he, he calls it El Elohi Israel, which is really good. So I think it was right for Jacob to stay focused on God calling him back to the promised land. It seemed to be right, and it, it seemed to be right for Jacob to, to, to refocus on what God, God had called him to do, and it seemed to be wrong for Jacob to deceive his brother again at such a time like that. We, we do, in a few chapters, know that they actually come back together to, at the funeral of their dad, Isaac. So, so it's, it wouldn't be accurate to say that they never see each other again. Um, they're never close that we know of like this, though, as well. And what, as I just were like, Lord, what does this mean? You are the same yesterday, today, forever. He's a messed up, busted up guy that you are using for your purposes. I'm a messed up busted up guy that you say that you're doing things in my life and in our life for his purposes. Like, how, God, are you, 
what do, we, what do we see here about him, about me, about you? And so there are four questions that I've started to ask myself that, that we, I think, should ask ourselves that I wish Jacob would have asked himself. So first is just like, have I heard from God? And these will be up here. Have I heard from God? Like, I think Jacob at any time in the middle of this could have just been like, okay, 400 guys are coming. People are looking at me. There's sheep making noises. There are things making noises. It's a crazy thing right now. And I have to make a decision. Have I heard from God? Okay, okay, I have. He said, go to Omaha. Okay. Like, in the fog of war, in, in the chaos of life, it's like, have I heard from God? And then I think a second question, so he has, so like Jacob heard from God saying, go to the promised land. And, Jake, and remember, God says, go there, you will be a blessing to all people going there, and I will be with you. And man, like all of that, it's like, okay. And then the second, have I resolved to follow where he is leading me? Like, sometimes it's like, man, he told me to go there, and I, I, I just don't want to go there. I'm going to be like Jonah, and I'm just going to go the total opposite way. And, man, we all get into situations like that in certain ways with certain parts of our story. But I think it's helpful to say, like, he has called me to go there, and we are going to go there. In his power, in his strength, him leading the way, him being with us. But it's like, he's called me to go there, and that's where we're going. And I don't know why I scheduled this whole thing to go there to see her. And that was wrong. I should not have done that. Would you forgive me for doing that? I don't want to go there anymore. Even though I said five minutes ago we're going to go there. But at some point, it seemed like there was a turn in Jacob. And the Holy Spirit does that in our lives too, where it's like, don't go there. Even if you were organizing it, don't go there. Have I resolved to follow where he's leading me? And then third, which I think it's like, God, help us, show us what this looks like, is am I truthful to how following God affects those around me? Am I truthful to how following God affects those around me? I think if Jacob would have been like, okay, Esau, I am a moron. God has spoken to me. Can you believe it? I think he should use you, but he's spoken to me, and he has told me to go there, and you know what? There's been a lot of fear inside of me. There's been a lot of uncertainty inside of me, and, um, but I'm going to go there. And by me going there, I cannot go with you to Seir. If I went to Seir, I'd be going in the direction that God is not leading me to go. And I know I have been complicit in this, but I am not going to go to Seir, and I know that affects you. Um, you can take the 550 animals here. You can, like, I don't know how this works out. I don't know exactly how all this gets settled but I just want to let you know, me following God there is going to affect this. And I just want to be honest with you 
that I am following God in the way he's leading me, and I know that's affecting us. Am I truthful to how following God affects those around me? And I think this is where Jacob most fails, and I think where we can often fail too. I know when I came to, to Jesus when I was in college, I, like I even had people would be like, man, it's like you fell off the face of the earth. You know, some of my buddies I used to hang out with and stuff because it was like, man, I just, I just wanted to just be around people that were wanting to follow Jesus and, and all this stuff. And I just kind of never went and talked to people about like, hey, this is why I'm, I'm not around is because I'm over here learning things I've never learned before about Jesus and all this stuff, you know. And, um, and like, am I truthful to how following God affects those around me? And then the fourth one, which I think is why God has... Uh, he, he does, when he does one thing, he's doing a thousand things. And definitely one thing he's doing is bring us on here together for a reason. And the fourth is, have I invited those around me to follow God together? Like, so what God is saying that he's doing in Jacob's life is that he's going to do these things in the life of Jacob, a deceiver, a trickster, He's going to do things, we're going to witness God do stuff in Jacob's life that's going to be a light to all the nations around him. And what God is doing in your life where it's like, God's doing that in B.J. Card's life? God's doing that in Ian Beaner's life? You know, God's doing that in Nick's life? God's doing that in T.J.'s life? God's doing that in Anna's life? And we could just go on and on and on. And it's like, it's like, yeah, he really is. And that becomes not just a, well, man, wish he could do something in my life. But he's actually doing these things for us to be a lighthouse, for us to be a community where people are like, man, I know those people. <laughs> and I got, only God can explain, can be the explanation for what's happening with those broken people. And I want in on it. Like, would he do that in my life as well? And what I think we can say many times, and what I wish Jacob would have said here, is I can't go with you, but you can come with me. Just that clarity of being like, hey, this is a messed up situation. And I know, like, I think we'll make it more messed up by going to Sierra. Man, I just finally got clarity. I can't go with you to Sierra. But man, you can come with me. And we can be a part of this. We can be a part of going to the promised land and be a part of what God's leading us to do, leading us to be a part of. I can't go with you, but you can come with me. And man, it might be, you know, it might be, as maybe someone at work is always looking at stuff on their phone that they shouldn't look at, you know, and they're always like, hey, come here, come here, <laughs> you know, and you get the turn, and it's happening in our schools, like, it, it's so common of a way to say, like, hey, come in here, <laughs> jump in here, let's, let's, and maybe, maybe you've been the one that's turned the phone to other people and been like, hey, look at this, and to be like, you know what, I can't go there anymore. God is speaking things to me about, about what a woman is, and he's actually making me desire 
to be a man of integrity in my community and for us to actually see men and women in the way that he's designed them. He's redefining beauty in my mind. He's redefining beauty in my heart. And I can't go there. I'm going to go here, and that's probably going to make this really weird for us. And it's probably going to have implications, and I'm probably going to be a weird guy. But would you come with me? And we can be weird together? Because this is life. I'm feeling life forming inside of me. Or it might be like, hey, you're a moron. You're dumb. I think you're dumb. And it might be like, well, you know, God actually says something different about me. And I actually hear he's crazy about me. And that's weird for me to think about, but I've resolved, I'm owning that. I'm going there, and I can't go with you into this like way that we've talked in the past. I can't go with you in this way of thinking that we used to think because he's becoming big in my life, and you're smaller than you used to be, and I'm smaller than I used to be. We're decreasing so he can increase. And man, I can't go with you, but you can come with me. And so many different areas. I mean, this, this God doesn't just give us a story from people that happened a long time ago. He's actually sharing with us like who he is, how he is, how that relates to us. And he's inviting us into this. He's inviting us to follow him in these ways. And so, God, I, I just pray that um, we would go with you right now. Where you are leading us, we would follow. That we would recognize that you are leading us safely home. That your ways are what we want our ways to be. Um, that maybe we, you would show us clearly where we need to say, I can't go with you, but you can come with me that he's changing it all, that we hear from you, that we resolve to follow you, that we're truthful to others about how that's going to affect our relationships to the point that we can invite those around to follow us in the clear direction that we're going. And Lord, we, we have to be with you for this to work. We have to be with you. You have to be doing this in us. We can't manufacture this. Um, we'll go to places that'll be hard and we need you present with us there doing the impossible things. And so, Lord, um, would you allow all of us, would all of us move towards you right now? Jesus, we pray. Amen.